0: Hello and welcome to St. Paul's Growing Together, a Bible study podcast resource for the St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbonnet, Illinois. Because we believe that studying God's Word is important and that through our time together in God's Word we grow in our faith in Jesus and our love for one another, we are offering you a chance to come grow with us through listening in on our Bible studies. We now join a Bible class on the book of Acts taught by our associate pastor, Mike Hanel.
1: Okay, today is Acts chapter 2. We kind of went over Acts 1. Again, we spent a lot of time on Jesus' ascension, the first part, I kind of skipped through very briefly the choosing of the replacement for Judas. Uh, Again, the, the, the bottom line here is if we cover everything in explicit detail, this won't be that medium length class that you wanted. We're still starting really slow. I understand that because there's so much material in the Ascension and Pentecost itself that we just, we have to touch on that. We'll be able to speed a little bit faster through some of the following sections, but my goal is still to make this kind of a medium depth, medium length class. Acts chapter two is a section of Acts that we should all be somewhat familiar with. I would even want to say very familiar with the season of Pentecost that we are in uh, is a big part of the church year. It begins on Pentecost Sunday, and on Pentecost Sunday this reading is brought in. It's a long reading, so generally not the whole of chapter two is read on Pentecost Sunday, but in following Sundays you hear a little bit more about it. We're not going to read everything word for word, but we are going to start Start off reading the opening verses of chapter two in Acts. Somebody could read nice and loud. We're gonna do just verses one through four for right now. Acts two, verses one through four.
0: When the day of Pentecost came, they were they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit
1: enabled them. All right, so here in the opening verses of chapter two, we have the the Pentecost event itself. We're gonna get into greater detail of like what speaking happened, what was said, what was the reaction, but Luke, again, is a great writer, and he gives us kind of the bird's-eye view of what's happening, when is it happening, who is it involving, and we're gonna have to read more to get more detail, but it's all nicely laid out here. One thing that's really interesting uh, at the very beginning here, it's kind of lost in translation, but in my translation, the ESV, the opening words of verse 1 say, when the day of Pentecost arrived. And whether using NIV or, or something else, it's probably something very similar, if not that actual phrase. In Greek, uh, it's, it's a little bit more nuanced than that. It doesn't say when the day of Pentecost arrived or came. Like, it's not a, a verb of motion. Instead, the, the word here is fulfilled when the day of pentecost was fulfilled which is a really interesting phrase in my opinion that it kind of doesn't do it justice to simply say when the day of pentecost arrived um we kind of have ways of talking about time as, as you know, coming and coming and coming, but w- there's also a way of talking about the, the days are filled or fulfilled, that, you know, the time is up, now is the right time. That's That, that all kind of makes sense that, yeah, it would be interchangeable, <laughs> but in Luke's vocabulary and with his writing, again, he's a very skilled author, it seems that when he doesn't say something in the ordinary way, there might be something going on here. And here, he's talking about this day being fulfilled. He doesn't use this verb very often. The last time that he used it was in, I have the reference down, Luke 9.51. I don't have the whole verse written on your handout, but the general gist of it is there. Luke 9.51, this is uh, during uh, the the section of Scripture about Jesus' transfiguration. And right after that, it says, When the day of his ascension was fulfilled, Jesus set his face toward Jerusalem. Um, Which, again, that echoing of the language of fulfilling and Jerusalem, there's a lot of stuff going on here. First of all, it reminds us that all of this is part of God's plan that is Jesus's life and ministry, but even now, this stuff. After Jesus is ascended into heaven, the event of Pentecost and everything that is gonna go on is, is part of God's plan. This, this is how things were supposed to be fulfilled. And this is exactly how it was supposed to happen. This wasn't an accident or, you know, some kind of random event. It was very planned. We already know that from reading the beginning of Acts because Jesus told his disciples that this was going to happen. Wait for the promise of the Father. And and they were waiting and now it's that time. Pentecost is going to be fulfilled the second thing it reminds us kind of explicitly of is that repeated theme throughout the gospels where we hear of scriptures being fulfilled so this is interesting because it's not necessarily scriptures being fulfilled but it's pentecost a festival a feast that god commanded going back to the time of moses this event Is now fulfilled. So that leads me to step back a bit and just ask about Pentecost and what we know about Pentecost. Um, If you have the handout on Pentecost, you can sort of cheat through that. That has some things, but in general what what do we remember about Pentecost before Acts? Uh, Pentecost as an Old Testament event, what what was it supposed to be about? harvest okay it was a harvest festival um it it is not in the calendar the first festival the first festival is passover and passover happens obviously it celebrates that great event in the exodus narrative the lord passing over the houses that have the lamb's blood on the doorpost and lintel Feast this this Pentecost of uh, the, the Feast of Pentecost, the festival of Pentecost, celebrates harvest, a, a springtime harvest of wheat. And so it occurs seven weeks after Passover, or seven times seven. It's forty nine, the fiftieth day. Pentecost literally just means fiftieth, the the festival of the fiftieth, Fiftieth, what? the 50th day after the last festival of Passover. That's what it refers to. Um, sometimes it's called then the, the festival or the feast of weeks because it's that counting off seven weeks. Um, it is a time to bring that first fruit of the wheat harvest to the temple and offer it to God. So again, God prescribes this feast to the israelites before they have even gotten into the promised land they're there at sinai receiving god's covenant and there he's instructing them how their life is supposed to be ordered so god has already promised them that that land is flowing with milk and honey it's a prosperous land a fruitful land and here's how you remember your god this is how you remember by giving back to Him those first fruits. And He will continue to bless. He will more than make up for, you know, some people are thinking, well, the first fruits, we, we need that. You, that, you got to cash that in. That's how you start paying off the bills. God says, no, trust me with it. I'll, I'll keep the rest of the harvest and we'll, we'll more than make up for that. So it's primarily a, a harvest. Festival. It is an important festival, though. The, the Israelites were supposed to come to the temple to bring that offering. Um, as time went on, uh, as people were farther and farther away from the, the, the temple, uh, not every Israelite male would, would make it to the temple every single year for all of these feasts and holidays, but they... They were still encouraged to, and so Pentecost would be a time when Jerusalem is, is bustling. We'll see why that's important in a little bit. There's one other part of Pentecost that it's not there in Exodus. Um, explicitly, but it, it takes on extra baggage and extra meaning. And from my homework, we can't seem to tell exactly when it took on this extra baggage. Some of the books I read said it happened in the intertestamental period, so after the Old Testament was written, but before the time of Jesus. And other things that I read said, no, it was after the time of, the, of Jesus and the early church that it took on this other meaning. Uh, and if you talk to modern Jews today that still recognize and celebrate Pentecost, they might talk about the harvest part of it, but they also celebrate in the festival of Pentecost, God's giving of the Torah. So the giving of the Ten Commandments and all of the instruction that's there in Exodus. This is something that's also connected to the, C- the festival of Pentecost. Again, that wasn't there in God's instructions to Exodus. And as near as I can tell, we don't know exactly when it picked up that extra nuance. But looking at it from both perspectives... What happens in Acts 2 on Pentecost, clearly you can see a lot of feeding in to both of those ideas. So let's start with the biblical meaning of Pentecost. It is a harvest festival. You celebrate the first fruits. How, you think outside the box here, metaphorically, how is that season fulfilled In what happens in Acts 2. So it's supposed to be a harvest, first fruits, Thanksgiving. How does that connect at all to what actually happens in Acts 2? Jesus' first fruits. Okay, say a little bit more. Jesus's first fruits. Okay. I think we're on the right path. Harvesting souls. Okay. So Jesus tells parables about harvest, doesn't he? And in some of those parables of harvest, talking about plants growing, he's not just talking about plants. Uh, the parable of the mustard seed. It's not just about a plant, is it? It's about the faith that grows inside God's people, and it grows to be this big and wonderful thing. The parable of the, the soils where the parable, well, the parable of the sower, sometimes it's called that, the farmer that scatters his seed, and some falls on the the rocky ground, some falls along the path, some falls in the good soil, and that's not just about plants, is it? It's about faith, and it's about people that hear the word of God, and it kind of explains why there are different reactions that, that sometimes Satan grabs that word and it, it seems to have no effect. Sometimes the person hears that word and like, yeah, this is life changing stuff. And then they kind of get bored with it or they get worried about other things in life and it just, it, it, it sort of goes away. And then there are those people that hear and respond and it, it just grows and blossoms. There's also another parable where Jesus talks about uh, the wheat and the tares. Right? Uh, somebody's uh, enemy scattered some uh, seed of weeds in his wheat field, and so everybody sees that, and now the wheat and the weeds are growing up intermingled. What are we gonna do? What are we gonna do? And uh, the 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 master, the farmer, says. Don't don't pull out the weeds now because you might accidentally pull out some of the good crop. A- at the end, at the harvest time, we'll we'll sort it all out. Harvest time being that judgment time, the, the day when the Lord returns. It, it will all get sorted out. And I'm probably missing maybe one or two others. But the point is, Jesus has kind of already prepared for this idea of harvest when you think about that, yes, it can refer to plants and real agricultural harvest, but he's also used this in his teachings to get us to think about faith and judgment and the response to God's Word. And so here on Pentecost, there is a fulfillment of this festival. It it is now not just about agriculture, But it is the first fruits of God's word sown. The the word now being that full word of Jesus about who he is and what he has done. The disciples were really not told to immediately upon Jesus' resurrection to, to go out and tell others when first jesus rose the the angel says go and and tell his brothers just you know the disciples but they didn't immediately say tell the whole world now that jesus has risen from the dead there was a lot of time 50 days between easter and this event which is now jesus gives that full power and command now tell that word sow the word get it out And here we see the first fruits. And skip to the end of chapter 2, the first fruits. We know that the Lord adds, anybody remember how many? 3,000. Yeah, 5,000 would be good. But 3,000 is what it says. And we know that that's just the beginning. There will be much more. So this is just the beginning of this great sowing and the immediate harvest, if you will, that people immediately come to faith, uh, repent, and are baptized, and are added to the number of those being saved. So this, I think, is is kind of inherent. It isn't specifically laid out and, and described that, you know, again, Way back in Exodus, that all this would happen, and, and Harvest Festival is now going to be connected to this. But in Luke's language, it's odd and it draws our attention, and there's something more happening. This might be it. The second thing, which I said, I wouldn't mention it except for the fact that the parallels are so interesting. The Festival of Pentecost got connected with the giving of the Torah. Okay? If People in Jesus' day were living in a time when that was understood. It also fulfills that part of the festival in some amazing ways. What's what's the connection? The law is fulfilled. The law is fulfilled. And uh, again, when in the Old Testament, generally that word, law, the same word in Hebrew, Torah, It can mean law, but it can mean the full word, law and gospel. And here, Peter is going to preach not just the law, that's there, but the gospel and the fullness of the gospel. It is given in a way that it never has been before. Again, look in Jesus's ministry. It's not that the gospel was lacking or that God's word wasn't there. Jesus went out and preached. The kingdom of God is at hand. And we saw and and discussed some of the ways that that was happening. But now after Jesus's death, resurrection and ascension and the giving of the Holy Spirit, this, this is something brand new. This is the messianic age that was prophesied about in the Old Testament, and it's here. This is the fullness of God's word in law and gospel being given. And the parallels don't just stop there. So the giving of God's word, that's like one parallel. If you think about the events that lead up to the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, what preceded it? The event of the exodus. In the Old Testament, the Exodus is the great act of redemption of God in history. To them, it was their Easter event. Whenever they looked back and think about what God has done, they can recall any number of great deeds that God has done, his acts of creation, uh, other acts of of salvation that that he has done. But the Exodus is kind of the big thing in the room that everybody looked at and this is not lost on luke and in his gospel again translations kind of vary but in the the in chapter 9 where jesus is going to be transfigured um he is talking to two figures while he's there on the mountain, Moses and Elijah. And Luke tells us in his gospel that the thing that they were talking about, this is Luke 9.31 if you want to go there, depending on your translation, it'll, it'll say about his departure. Um, something like that, right? In Greek, the, the word there, they were, what they were talking about was his exodus. Okay, So, Jesus' exodus, what is going to be Jesus' great act of redemption? It's going to be his death and resurrection. And even if we're not quite clear about that, follow along in Luke's gospel in chapter 9 and see what Jesus teaches about after this. He teaches about what's going to happen next that is his exodus, his departure, and he tells his disciples, we're going to Jerusalem. I'm going to be handed over. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be mistreated. I'm going to die. And on the third day, I will rise again. So the exodus is there before the giving of the Torah. And in Acts, Jesus' exodus is there before that fullness and giving of that word of, yes, law, but also gospel. So Pentecost is kind of just loaded with all of this extra significance and meaning. Again, whether it's the harvest or if you pick up from this other idea of the giving of the law, you see why maybe Luke didn't just stumble on his words and say the time had come for Pentecost, no. He said the time of the Pentecost was fulfilled, and here's what it looks like. And that's pretty awesome. Questions on that? We're through, what, one half of one verse? This is great. Okay. Moving on a little bit, I'm gonna, I'm gonna kinda let that stand for, uh, that, that verse. The signs of the spirit coming. I have notes here because of time. We're not gonna look at all of these, but what do we see happening with the coming of the spirit? We first, there's this sound like a rushing of the wind. There is what seems like tongues of fire that come down on the apostles' heads. And then there is the the languages, that they are speaking in, in new languages as the Spirit has given them that ability. So there's three signs of the Holy Spirit. All of those have significance and meaning if you kind of Trace them back to the Old Testament. Um, the, the wind one is probably the, the hardest. Uh, but in John's Gospel, I like this as, as a better parallel. Rather, you can, you can find stuff about wind in the Old Testament, but there's this play on words. In Greek and in Hebrew, the word for wind and spirit and breath, it all comes from the same, uh, word in Greek and Hebrew. So, in John 3, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and they get into the discussion about baptism, Jesus gives this idea. uh, This um, He says, the the wind blows where it will, and you don't know where it comes from or where it goes. The, The word for wind is the same word in Greek as the word for spirit. And what does Jesus talk about there? He's not just going to be talking about the weather and natural phenomenon, but he tells Nicodemus that, that you must be born again, born of water and the spirit, the Holy Spirit. And so there's this, this play on words that kind of leads to this moment. But in talking to Nicodemus about the Holy Spirit, that might have been, Hard and difficult. Again, spirit, you can't see it. How do, how, how do I know? What is it accomplishing? But when Jesus starts talking about the wind, again, the same thing is true. I don't know when the wind is coming, where it's coming from, where it's going, but when it's there, its presence is, is, is felt. It is known. The same is going to be true of the Holy Spirit. So that's there. Fire is laden with all kinds of meaning and significance. Think about Mount Sinai itself. Moses first encounters there the burning bush, this bush that is on fire but not consumed, and we learn that there in the burning bush is the Lord. He encounters the Lord, take off the sandals, uh, because the place where you're standing is holy ground. Later, he is to lead the Israelites back to that mountain, And he does so by the leading of the Lord who is present to lead them back to Sinai by the pillar of fire and the cloud. And when they get to Sinai, the whole mountain is basically consumed, covered up by this cloud. And also they they talk about like fire there. It's like the whole mountain is now on fire. And if you keep following this imagery, it goes next to the tabernacle. And from the tabernacle, it will go to the temple. So this fire always seems to signify God's presence. Not just His, his presence, his, because God is present everywhere, but a, a specific gracious and saving and guiding presence if you were part of our discussions in some of the old testament uh books we talked about that significance of the temple the temple was not just about being a building but a place where god graciously received his people where they could hear the forgiveness of their sins and know that god was was there to hear their prayers and to receive their offering they they didn't necessarily have those same kind of guarantees in other places so god said seek me here um a couple other ones that i added to the list ezekiel 11 is in the time just before the destruction of the temple and 586 god leaves the temple so the fire the the fiery presence of the lord goes up from the temple and then i also thought about isaiah 6 when isaiah is taken up to the throne room of god and you know woe is me i'm a person of unclean lips and one of the seraphim uh, grabs a, a burning coal and touches it to his lips and says your sins are forgiven. You you can now speak these words to God's people. So again, there's just so much there. So in Acts, it it, it does not say that there was wind or there was fire. It's it's symbolism. It was l- the sound like a mighty rushing wind. It was as if tongues of fire. So, if we were there, it's not necessarily that, you know, you see a burning flame or whatever, but that's the, the imagery that, that he's drawing upon. Um, so, it's not so much what did it actually look like, but why why is he talking in, in this way? Um, you know, it could have been uh, little crosses that lit up over their head. I, I I don't know what it actually looked like, but he speaks in metaphor. It was as if this was happening. It was like that. And why those symbols? That's why I'm saying, look back in the Old Testament and you see God is present. It is God's saving presence, his gracious presence, and it's going to go out to his people. There's also going to be a transfer of the temple as a building to we are God's temple, right? Right? What's so significant about the temple? It is where God dwells. Well, God promises that his Holy Spirit dwells in us. In our baptism, the Holy Spirit is poured out in us. And so we are now God's temple, mobile. We get to go all around and God through us. So there's just so much stuff happening, but I think that's one of the things that you want to pick up when you see that The languages, um, the primary thing, and this is usually what we uh, are able to preach about because it's not quite as lengthy and detailed, but go back to the Tower of Babel, right? There was a time when everybody was unified, but then they used that to elevate themselves against God. And so God scattered the people, scattered their languages. And here God uses his Holy Spirit, not to scatter, but to unite, to bring together. And again, don't lose the significance here. The big thing happening in the Tower of Babel was that the people wanted to what? Make a name for themselves. They wanted to make a name for themselves. Yes, they did want to reach God and be God, but they wanted to make a name for themselves and here, how is Peter going to kind of push home the the gospel? There is no other name by which we are saved, but Jesus. Call upon him. So the unity that he brings in the name of Jesus for God's glory, but also for our salvation. Um, it's, It's awesome and wonderful. So those things are all kind of there. Again, Luke knows scriptures, and what he does is very well done, deliberate, and calls our attention to these things. Sometimes in Bible studies, you know, you just, I, I just want to read this book and study this book, but if you limit yourself and aren't thinking about what else was written and how this connects, you, you kind of miss over some of this stuff. Um, yes.
0: Mm-hmm. But in Genesis, when Adam is born, Christ breathes on him mm-hmm. life. Mm-hmm.
1: the Holy Spirit there, present when he breathes on him the Holy Spirit? Yeah, I mean, all, all, all life is given through God, through the Spirit, and that's how he, he animates Adam and gives him life. So we have a spirit, and there is the Holy Spirit. Those aren't the same thing. So just because we have life, doesn't it, doesn't it mean that that is just the Holy Spirit in us, and not and not our own spirit. But isn't that the spirit of the Lord because He breathed life into us? It yeah, it is. It is the breath of God, but not not co. Not the same thing as the Holy Spirit. I, I mean, there, there there's a distinction. So, God has His Holy Spirit, but He also gives us spirits, life. We are spiritual beings. Just like there are angels that are spirits, but it doesn't mean that they, they're all the same being as God. There, there's a distinction. In us, we are spirit, but He also gives us the Holy Spirit. And when when we die, our spirits do go with the Lord, but that it, it isn't just that the holy the God takes the Holy Spirit back, and that's that's like our life. I, I guess I, I I'm not quite following, but I just there's a distinction there. We have spirits, and there is the Holy Spirit. They're not because are you saying that they're the same, or what what point are you making? <laughs> That's that's one one for the sorry about the, the confusion. We'll ask for God to unconfuse our languages. Well, I was uh,
0: what I'm thinking is when Adam was
1: born, mm-hmm. he was totally, even though he was born, the Lord breathed into him mm-hmm. life and life was given. Yes. When life was given, yes. The Holy Spirit was given. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay? Mm-hmm. Then we continue
1: to, to be given the Spirit mm-hmm. as we as we read his word, and we sing his praises. Yep. Those type of things Yep. be given yep. to the Holy Spirit, or fed. Mm-hmm. Then he died, mm-hmm. and our spirit returns to him. Yes. So my question,
0: I guess, is, is it the Holy Spirit, and that's what I think it was, because he gave it to us. Why would it be two different beings? And because
1: be- our being isn't just the Holy Spirit. Yes, the Holy Spirit comes from outside of us in baptism, in hearing God's word, in the sacraments, and, and God is always pouring that Holy Spirit out in us and filling us up. But the Holy Spirit doesn't then like push out our spirit. We, we, our, our life is not, because I am alive does not mean I have the Holy Spirit. Somebody is born, it, they do not have the Holy Spirit. This is part of original sin. So in between Adam, given the spirit of life, and us is the fall. Sin entering the world, and we we are we have the image of God, we are the image of God, but it's it's broken now. It is, when the is born, they don't have the Holy Spirit. Right. 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 But they are alive. Right. They just don't have that spiritual, eternal life that what will is, come...
0: Where are you getting
1: at? that? That we're dead in our trespasses? Uh, you can get that in Ephesians. Yes, we are dead in our trespasses. Yes. Yeah, but I that's not saying that the Holy Spirit, it's not talking about the Holy Spirit. What is it talking about? The physical body. The physical, we're dead in our sins, but we're talking about the physical body. Yeah. Not the eternal, but not the Spirit. Well... We'll talk more, Sylvia, but I, w- I want to get us back, because,
0: right. okay. yeah. You know, well, it makes that distinction that God breathed into Adam mm-hmm. the breath of light, mm-hmm. not the Holy Spirit, but the breath of light.
1: Right. That's, I think that's that where Yeah. 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 That's because the Holy Spirit is the spirit of the Trinity. Yeah, but but before the fall, he, he the Holy Spirit, everything was as it was supposed to be, yeah. All right, so there, those three signs, uh, notes, you can you can kind of follow some of that back. The crowd itself, uh, we're not going to read over the names because I might stumble over the list of people just as much as you did. But the people are confused because, look, there's Galileans speaking, but we're all hearing them in our same language. Again, background here. This is the festival of Pentecost, a festival where Jews were supposed to come to the temple. And so Jerusalem is thronging with people, not just from nearby, but from out of state, out of country. They're coming to worship God and to celebrate in this way. So God chooses a wonderful time to first get the word out when all of these different people composed from all different places are there. But they are Jews, or they are proselytes, people who maybe were not ethnically Jewish, but now, uh, are Jewish. They, they now follow that way of life. And what Peter is going to say is going to speak to them. So this is not some foreign audience of Greeks or Gentiles or whatever. These are people of the Old Testament that Peter's gonna say, everything that we've been waiting for, it's now fulfilled. It's now here and it's all through this guy, Jesus. So let me tell you more about him. So they're, they're going to be amazed, but the amazement stems from just that weird thing of, wait a second. How, how do they know my language? Because they're, they are, they're locals. They, they shouldn't know how to speak my mother tongue. So it's undoubtedly the case that all of these people knew Aramaic kind of the common Hebrew language of the time, but they also are hearing now in their natural language, the language that they were born in. And that's amazing to them. You can talk a lot about the language stuff. There are other occurrences of the gift of tongues in Paul's letters, I have a few references there. This seems to be different from what Paul talks about. Paul sometimes talks about the tongues of angels And that kind of tongues is a language that is not understandable by people. It requires an interpreter. This is obviously very clear speech. The people hear it and understand it. So sometimes the gift of tongues is brought up in other places in Scripture, but what this is is a clear speaking to the people who understand it. The amazing thing is they didn't study our language and have a background in it, but somehow they're able to speak it and hear it. But while they're speaking it, here's here's kind of the crowd confusion part. Some of them are like, are these guys drunk? Um, because while one person is hearing it in their language, like at the same time, maybe it seems that another person is hearing these guys speak in a different language, even though they do also hear their own language. And so to one person, they are hearing clearly, but either at the same time or maybe shortly after, they're now speaking a different language. And so it's like, are they drunk? Because I just heard them speaking and now it sounds like they're speaking nonsense because I don't know this language. Um, that seems to be what the the drunken question is about. But again, Peter makes this excellent rebuttal, guys, it's nine in the morning, nobody's drunk at this time. And again, there's clarity in their speech overall. So doesn't doesn't quite work. All right, in in Peter's sermon, uh, a lot of material is here. And this first sermon about Jesus is very briefly summarized in that Peter explains, hey, You've maybe heard about some of the ruckus, some of the things happening here. This guy, Jesus, who did many great, wonderful things in God's name, and God was upon him. He touches very briefly on his life, and that he was put to death, but the greatest emphasis in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus, here is the resurrection. When Peter talks about his resurrection, here is when he draws in other scripture verses uh, to say, one, the resurrection was not something new to these people. There were, remember, groups that did not believe in a resurrection, the Sadducees. That's why they're so sad, you see. But the Pharisees did believe in the resurrection, and so the idea of a resurrection isn't new, What's new is that Jesus rose from the dead now. Like the resurrection they thought of, that happens at the very end of the age. So the fact that there is a resurrection now, first of all, says to them, wait a second, what time is it? When are we living? Because the resurrection, yes, we believe in it, we know that it's possible, but that only would happen at the end, in the messianic age. So Peter is saying, now's that time. And he's going to talk about uh, Joel and the prophecy there of in the latter days or in these last days, God will pour out his spirit on his servants, uh, old and young men and women, servants and free, and they will prophesy. So that too is talking about the gift of the Holy Spirit, which they knew was going to be a gift that God would give in the last day, in those last days, that messianic age. So Peter is not explicitly, you know, putting all this out here, but they're living in a new time and Peter stresses the resurrection because that assures them of that it's not that any of the other stuff were were unimportant paul talks about we preach christ crucified and and know nothing else it's not that he's ashamed or embarrassed about the crucifixion of jesus but it's really the resurrection that he's going to show scripture is being fulfilled jesus is vindicated like it would be enough to talk about somebody's crucifixion and if that's all you talked about people would be like so what thieves and criminals die every day. That doesn't mean anything. But Jesus rose from the dead, a vindication of all of his words and deeds, and so that requires stressing. And he doesn't just point to Scripture's testimony, that actually the resurrection of the servant of the Lord was there David talks about it in the Psalms, and Peter says, look, David couldn't possibly talk about himself in some of these verses. He must have been talking about the Messiah, and that's who Jesus is, because he has now been raised from the dead. Um, So he doesn't just talk about Scripture, but he says, all of these guys you see up here, we are eyewitnesses. It's not just that Scripture said he would rise from the dead, and we just really hope that that was true. But we've seen him, and other people have seen him. So they appeal to two different sources: Scripture and their own personal eyewitness. And then talk about Jesus being exalted, that he ascended, and and now the gift of the Holy Spirit is there. And then, what does this mean? What are we supposed to do? Repent. And be baptized. So the whole message is not just the preaching of Jesus, his life, death, resurrection, ascension. But then, what does this mean for us now? Repent and be baptized, and be added to the number of those who are saved. So the the wholeness of the message there. Um, in the final verse of that chapter, Peter is is uh, is reported to have said many other words. Luke says this. So don't think that we have the entirety of his message here, but Luke gives us the outline, the, the highlights, the important details, and the important details preach Jesus, who he is and what he has done. Jesus here is the Christ, the Messiah. That's the key identification that Peter is trying to get across. Uh, because they all knew about the Messiah, that this was this was promised by God, the Messiah would come, and then all of these things would happen. So that's already there. Peter doesn't have to argue about that. It's Messiah equals Jesus. When you get that, everything flows out of it. Forgiveness, salvation, and eternal life. So, so that's his message to the people. But again, the way that he does that is really challenging. The way that he quotes the Old Testament and says this is about Jesus, again, where, where did people learn to read the Bible like that? Jesus himself taught and showed that Jesus exemplified it in his own ministry. There's one point in time in his ministry where he talks about Psalm 110. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand, and Jesus says, who, who, is, who is this talking about? Because even though in our language it says, the Lord said to my Lord, it's in Hebrew, uh, in Hebrew Yahweh, God said to my Lord, and Jesus says, David is king. He's the king of Israel. Who could possibly be above a king that David would refer to this other guy as Lord? Jesus is trying to point out that it's talking about the Messiah. It's talking about him. So Jesus already talked about this kind of interpretation of Scripture in his ministry. But I think even more in those 40 days after his resurrection and ascension, he taught Peter and the other apostles to read the Bible this way. And it's really kind of easy. Whenever you see things about the Messiah being mentioned, obviously Jesus is that Messiah. But the more subtle way of understanding Scripture is when there are things about David Not every detail about David, but there are certain things about David that can be read not just about David, but about Jesus. And kind of it seems the way that they get here is that David was a Messiah. He was an anointed one. He was anointed as king. Well, Jesus is the greater king, the greater Messiah. And so there are small ways that David's life kind of shadow what Jesus will do in a much greater way. So Peter's sermon, loaded, loaded, could spend a lot of time there, but just to summarize his message, Jesus's life, resurrection, death, resurrection is kind of the thing that's the most important. We're going to see this is going to be a continued theme throughout Acts, that they proclaim the resurrection, and so we'll we'll spend a little bit more time, but for right now you know it's so important because the resurrection meant that we were in the end in the last days and that's going to mean more as well this is the messianic age well that's special that's different from what we were living in before how is it different why is it different we'll look at some more of the details okay 3,000 were added to their number that day through this message, through the Spirit's work, through the Word, the Word proclaimed, the Word of God, the Word of Jesus, the Word about Jesus. And that's the same message that we are given. Be witnesses. We may not speak in languages as the Spirit gives us that ability that everybody's like, whoa, I didn't know you knew that language, and you're like, I didn't know that either. But... (laughs) Uh, this isn't necessarily a prescriptive passage that, that, that Luke or that God is saying our lives are going to look like this. No, this is a huge transition, doing a new thing, signs of the end of the age. We don't need those signs now because we're already in that age. There are times and places where the Spirit's gifts are outpoured, and we'll see in other sections of Acts where the Spirit is manifested in really powerful ways. That does happen, but if it does not happen, it does not mean that the Spirit is not there. So again, as we think about our own lives, uh, we'll gosh, my parents just brought me to church and I had some water poured on my head and it wasn't this impressive thing, tongues of fire or a great wind. It was so boring and ordinary. That does not mean that the Spirit was not given to you or that you are not saved or part of this. You certainly are. But here in Acts, as a new chapter is being opened, something impressive is happening and the Spirit gives these signs to validate and confirm that. All right, next week, come, but I'm not going to be here. Do, do something interesting. Maybe read Acts together out loud. I don't know. But uh, then the following week, we'll come back, and we'll try to get through chapters three and four. We'll see.
0: Thanks. Thank you for listening to this Bible study. If you have questions or comments about something you've heard, let us know by leaving us a comment on our webpage, stpaulslutheran.net. And look for the menu, About Us. Our Bible class meets Sunday mornings at 9.50 a.m. at 1780 Career Center Road, Bourbonnet, Illinois, 60914. We'd love to see you there. Come and grow together in Christ with us.